You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Well, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I want to kind of recap some things in case you, you've been missing uh, the last couple of weeks or you haven't been uh, staying in touch with us. Which, by the way, if you have uh, been missing or you haven't stayed in touch with us, you can go online every week uh, to our, our website or to YouTube or even wherever you listen to podcasts, and we release those sermons every week so you can stay up to date with us uh, through that fashion. But uh, the Gospel of Luke is, is written by uh, Dr. Luke, and he, he writes this book so that the, the people who are reading it can know that they can trust in Jesus. He's trying to reaffirm in them that what they have seen and heard throughout others that can be completely trusted. He's basically writing to give us a confidence and and a a boldness. And last week, we looked at how Luke was really kind of pushing us to this idea of making disciples. So he's writing so that we can have some sort of confidence and boldness, but it's not just for your life only, right? Because just as the gospel came to you, I believe that the Lord's message is that it wants to move through you. And so Luke writes here to give us assurance, to give us confidence and all of these things, but he also then writes so that we can go and make disciples. And so we've been kind of looking at the, the, this book through that lens, and, and, and in essence what he's doing is he's calling us to look at it through a lens of loving and investing. And if you don't know the mission of our church, is to love God, love people, and invest in his kingdom. And so that is what we're going to be looking at as we walk through this book. Today specifically, though, as we get to this text in Luke chapter 2, I, I, the title of my sermon is, Things Aren't Always Like We Thought They'd Be. Things Aren't Always Like We'd Thought They'd Be. Whether it's discipleship, maybe, maybe you've had somebody you've discipled through the years and you thought they would be at a certain point in time and they're not. Maybe it's your own life. You thought you'd be at a certain place in your walk with Jesus, but you aren't. Maybe, maybe there's something in a relationship or something at work. No matter where it is, there's probably a moment you can think back and you go, you know, I thought I would be in a different place then than I am now. There's things in our life where we get to this place where we go, man, things just aren't like I thought they would be. Let me tell you a funny story. This past week, uh, Tuesday night, I had a group of men over at my house for what we call serious leadership. We walked through uh, theological teachings and leadership teachings with with a group of men for about nine months. And this past Tuesday night, they're at my house. We're we're cooking. We're eating. We're talking about deep stuff on the back porch. And my wife comes outside. She says, says, hey, I need you to come inside really quickly. And that's never good. So my first thought was, my kids have done something absolutely extraordinarily bad, and I need to help her impose her will. And yet, it wasn't that easy. Uh, the garbage disposal uh, was leaking, and so we're getting nasty gray water, which is, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But we're getting water all over our living room. I put a bucket underneath it, and, or not of our living kitchen, and uh, I put a bucket underneath it, and I say, give me an hour. Uh, I get out of the Bible study, I look at it, I determine that the garbage disposal needs to be replaced. And so I wake up the next morning before work, before the kids are going to school, all the things. I run out to Lowe's, I buy a garbage disposal, I get home, I'm taking the old garbage disposal off. I get to go install this new garbage disposal, I open the box, I pull the cardboard off of the top layer of said garbage disposal, and inside of the box 
is nothing but bricks. Bricks. Let me just say that again. It's like 7.45 in the morning. I'm trying to get a garbage disposal in and get to school, get the kids to school, get to work, and I have bricks in a $200 box for a garbage disposal. So I run back to Lowe's. I get another garbage disposal, and I and stress the whole time, like, man, customer service is really going to think that I'm just jipping them right here. But thankfully, they were just as much in shock and awe as I was. I get home with second said garbage disposal. I install it. I run it. And it sounds like an airplane is in my house. I have a, a decibel reader on my phone because we, we try to read how loud the room is at times. And I pull it out, and it's reading at 95 decibels. Now, if you don't know what that means, the loudest this room will probably ever get on a Sunday morning is somewhere around 95 decibels. So imagine having that in your kitchen. My wife said she was upstairs in her office, and she just jumped out of her chair. So obviously that garbage disposal doesn't work correctly. So I have to go to work, come home. I, I take it off, I go back to the store, and I decide I'm not going to get this one, I'm going to get a different one. So now I get an even more expensive garbage disposal, and I get home, and I get it installed, and I'm, man, I had to replumb everything because it's a different brand and all the things, and so I've redone everything at this point, and I am not a plumber, by the way. I hate plumbing. I cannot stand it, but I'm also a little cheap, so I don't want to pay anybody else to do it. So I fill the sink with water, and I say, Amy... I'm going to need you to pull the plug in a second. I get my flashlight. I'm underneath the sink, and I go, all right, pull the plug. She pulls the plug. I begin to hear the water rush, and I'm like, yes, great. And then about two seconds after that thought, not only do I hear the water rush, I feel the water rushing in my face because I left off one important hose that's really not that important if you have a small amount of water, but if you have a large amount of water, the dishwasher plug needs to be plugged because when it backs up with that much water, it's going to have a fire hydrant in your face underneath the sink. Things didn't go like I thought they were going to go, right? And sometimes in life, things don't go the way we thought they were going to go. We open up a box, we're expecting a garbage disposal, and yet we get bricks. This is what happens in our life. We, we, we go through things, and it doesn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. How do we walk in faith through those moments? How, how can we continue to step forward when someone in our life is completely failing and it's breaking our heart? Our children aren't doing the things we want them to do. The relationship that we have is broken. The job isn't working out. Whatever it is in your life, you thought it was going to be this way. It ends up being another way. How do we press forward and look to Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. We would love for you to turn to the Bible, uh, turn through these pages with us. This is the authoritative Word of God, and I want you in it with me every Sunday morning. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 25. Go ahead and stand with me, and we're going to read uh, God's Word together, and we'll stand in honor of that. It says, now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the uh, consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what God, at what was said to, about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a, sw- and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. And coming up at the very, uh, very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. You may be seated. All right, so we open up on this picture as the baby Jesus is being taken to the temple to begin the purification, the cleansing ritual process. And, and Luke highlights an encounter right here with two people, a guy named Simeon and a woman named Anna. Now these two people, God is going to use to speak to us right here in this moment. And what's important about this moment is that God is going to use to speak both to Joseph and Mary, but to us as well. But what I want you to know is that these two people were sent by God, and they were given a mission. And if you go back to the kind of the Old Testament text, and you, you begin to understand how God worked, a confirmation of a move of God was oftentimes revealed and, and, and confirmed by two people. Matter of fact, if you look to the law, in order for a covenant or, or, or some other uh, move of God to have been sealed and authoritative, there had to have been two people. And so what you see right here is these two people, Simeon and Anna, confirming the deity of Jesus. Now what does that mean? And let's, let's walk through this process. So first, let's look at the characters. So we have a guy named Simeon. It says that he is righteous and he is devout and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this essentially means that he was waiting for the restoration. He was waiting for shalom, wholeness, peace for the people. And I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, I go, well, okay, how long, how long was he waiting, though? Because Luke uses this word very specifically and inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so when we see words in Scripture, we don't just need to kind of gloss over them. We need to know. It says he was waiting. So, so how long was he waiting? Well, we can't be exactly sure. We do know that he's an old man because if you think back to those verses talking about he cannot pass until he sees the Lord's Christ. And as soon as he sees Jesus, he's like, hey, I'm ready to go now. So this kind of gives us a picture. This means probably a little bit of an older man. But I want you to think about it in a different context of waiting. Here is these, this, this Jewish man. When is the last time a prophetic word of God had been delivered? So during this period, what we're seeing here, this is about 1 AD, right? Right before this time is what's known as the, the, the 400 years of silence. So the book of Malachi ends at about 430 B.C., And so from that point on, there is no more prophetic writings from God to His people. And so for 400 years, the people of God hear nothing. There is silence. And this is where Simeon finds himself. He finds himself in a place where he's been given a mission by God, but yet 
he's in a culture that would probably believe that God has been silent and maybe is neglecting them. And that is where he finds himself waiting for the Messiah. In a place where they might believe, you know, is God even there anymore? Does he even care? Maybe you can relate. Maybe there's been a place or a time in your life where you can think back and you go, I've prayed for this. I've thought about this. I've, I've wanted. I've desired for this. And every time I've looked for it, I've never had an answer. And it led me to a place to believe, well, maybe God isn't listening to me. This is where Simeon finds himself, but yet remains faithful. We'll talk about how he does that in just a moment. Then you have the second person, Anna. Now, her, her story has some amazing symbolism in it, and I'm going to try to move very quickly through this, but I, I want to make sure that you hit the highlights. If you uh, got the bulletin this morning, there were some notes in there, and I think it would be great to, to follow on. Uh, but I want to highlight really quickly the, the verse 36. We've read this once, but I want to read it again just to make sure we, we connect some of these dots. Verse 36, this is about Anna. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Now, when I read this, the first question that comes to my mind is, why does Luke mention all of this kind of background information about Anna, but yet with Simeon, we get a very different picture? We, we don't get all this background. We, we certainly get a picture of Simeon, like he's righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, but that's kind of it. But then with Anna, we, I mean, we, we, kinda, we know her upbringing. We know her family. Where, where does she come from? And I think the answer to that question of why we get more information kind of lies in the question or the statement that we've made this morning, that things aren't always like we thought they would be. See, at first glance, you and I can read this text and we can kind of dismiss her family. We can dismiss a lot of the background about her. But what the Jew would have read would have been something very different. They would have known some of the stuff that's behind these words. For example, the statement that she's a daughter of Phanuel. Well, Phanuel literally means the face of God. So what, can, what, what, can, what statement can be made about Anna, who, who has a, a father whose name is Phanuel, that means the face of God? Well, you could make the, 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 the assumption, the, the understanding that, well, that would mean that she would recognize the quote-unquote face of God because she would recognize her father. And yet in this picture, we get something even more grand. Today, she's seeing something better than her father. She's seeing the literal face of God, Jesus. Paul says in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus says himself in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Remember, Simeon and Anna were not there just by happenstance. They were there to confirm the deity of Jesus. So right here, the face of God, Anna, is recognizing that Jesus is that person. The second thing, where did she come from? Tribe of Asher. Well, Asher was this northern tribe of Israel that was conquered by Assyria. It was one of the ten that were kind of lost at one moment. And so what you see is that Luke is kind of pointing out the differences between Simeon and Anna, but specifically one of the similarities was Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And what does it say about Anna? It says she was waiting for the redemption of Israel. So here you have someone from the tribe of Asher who has kind of been lost in the world, 
And yet through Jesus, this picture of what is going to be happening is something that was once lost is now found. See, what was once lost in the, the tribe of Israel, Asher, the tribe of Asher, one of the twelve, was, was kind of gone. And now through Jesus, there's going to be a redemptive process. There's going to be a redemptive move and He will make all things new. This is the work of God. God is transforming the original 12 tribes. I know this is Old Testament, so if, if you're not tracked with me, we'll, we'll, I apologize. I don't have time to go into it. But there's 12 tribes of Israel. 10 are lost. They're being brought back. And what you see here is Jesus is establishing the church. It's no longer just this old system where there was just a people of God and you had to have been born of this right birth. No, Jesus comes in representing something very different that He will draw all men to Himself. So you have the, the face of God kind of symbolism point in Anna's story. Then you have the tribe of Asher and then there's even yet a third one. And I'll just quote a pastor that said this because I think he said it really well. He says, Luke respects old age. So there's no reason for him to hide Anna's age. But the number, remember the number of her age is 84. The number here is symbolic. It says that 84 represents the fullness of God's people. 84, you know, 7 times 12 is 84. So 7 is the number of creation or, or, or completion. And then 12 is the number of tribes of Israel. And so 84 is the completion of God's people, and I just don't believe that that's happenstance. I don't believe that these three things in one text, in essentially one sentence from Luke, just happened to line up so perfectly. That she would recognize the face of God, that, that all of a sudden this Messiah would be a picture of bringing in the redemptive qualities of a of an Israelite people who were lost and now can be found by Jesus, and yet her age represents the full completion of God in this picture. I think there's something also there with her age. Anna waited and served God for 84 years. You know, you may have thought it, you may have said it, you may have heard someone say it, but I think sometimes in church in our walk with Jesus, we can say, you know, as we get older, we, we can get to this point where we say, God just can't use me. That's not true. If you're getting older, let me tell you this. I need you. The church needs you. I know that there's this big church movement out there right now that's, man, 20-somethings, 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 20-somethings. But you know what? If all we are is about the 20-somethings and we don't have older Christians who have been through life and pouring into them, we're going to have a bunch of terrible 30s and 40s and 50s and 60-somethings in the years to come. That, that next generation and teenagers right now needs the older generation pouring into them. So ministry is not done for you when you hit a certain age. You can retire from your job, but you don't retire from ministry because God has a plan for you. Look at Simeon and look at Anna. God is using these two senior adults to send both Joseph and Mary a picture, but also you and I. So embodied in these two people, 
you have this picture, this confirmation of, of the deity of Jesus. But what does that mean for you and I today? Well, how did they do it is the question. How, how could they have served all these years? How could Simeon have gone through all of this process with nothing, just waiting on the Christ? How, how could Anna have gone to the temple every single day, it says, and nothing? Well, the answer is patience. These two embody the picture of patience for the will of God. Things aren't always like we thought they would be, and I'm sure that crossed through their mind time and time again, right? I mean, think about the, the number of times that you've prayed for something, and you said, hey, God, I need this, and you're going, I'll give it a week, right? I mean, that's what you do. I want to buy a new car. Get with the spouse. Let's give it a week, see what God does. You give it a week. I'm buying the car. Let's do it. I had no word. It was nothing, but I'm going to do it. Should I apply for this job? Should I, should I do this? I, I love this morning, I think the, the, the worship team and their devotional time was kind of talking about this. How What we do, we have a tendency, the things that we want to handle and control, we do that. But the other things in life, we give those to God. As I was making the statement this morning about praying for a car or a job, it just hit me. Do we even do that? Or do we just make the decision on our own? Do we even bring God into that conversation? When you've prayed for something, or you've desired to see a move from God, how long did you actively wait? How long did you actively wait to see God move or give you an answer. How long? Notice that Anna and Simeon didn't just wait, but they actively waited. See, there's a difference between, all right, I'm going to say my prayers, I'm going to wait for God to answer it, and I'm just going to go about my life, versus actively waiting. See, they, they said their prayers, but then what did they do? They sought after the will of God. They followed the, the last thing that he told them to do. They were at the temple. They were ready to receive. I mean, imagine God's ready to give you the answer to the thing that you've been praying about, but instead of doing the thing that he told you to do last, you were busy doing something else. And so you weren't at the temple when the Messiah shows up. Simeon never dies in that picture, right? Kind of joking. But here's the deal. They didn't just wait for God to answer their prayer. They actively waited. They were doing exactly what God called them to do. We need to be patient. We need to learn to be patient as they were patient. When things weren't looking like they thought they would look, when they, they kept going and hitting their knees and going, God, when are you going to show up? They did not give up on the last calling from God. They pressed forward. They said, he's faithful. He'll show up. No matter our circumstances, we need to be patient. Thinking back to Simeon, you know, he waited, and the people of God in that situation waited 400 years of silence. I see the church today, we're waiting 2,000 years for the return of the Messiah. How many of us in this room actually wait for the return of the Messiah? I mean, really? Because Scripture tells you to. Like, he calls you to be 
in anticipation for the Messiah's return. And how many of us are going, yeah, if it happens, great. I'm not thinking about it. Can I give you just some freedom? I don't always think about it. I don't think about it that much. That's not a good thing. It's not something I'm, sh- I'm proud of. But I-, I just don't want you to feel like I'm sitting here trying to beat you up for something that I'm guilty of as well. But God has called us. Seek after me. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. We, we sang a song to open the year, Even So Come. We're waiting for Jesus' return. And this is, we, we are Anna and Simeon in so many ways. To remain faithful to the call as we wait for him. You've been praying for a restored relationship. You've been praying for a better job. You've been praying for whatever in your life. What are you doing to pursue the things of God while waiting for that answer? You may believe that he isn't listening. But I think Anna and Simeon's testimony revealed to us that God is listening. He just doesn't answer things in your time. He will reveal his will at the perfect time, and the things aren't always like we thought they would be. They are on his plan, on his time. So how can we be patient? How, how can we take this idea of patience from Simeon and, and Anna and put it into our life today when we realize that things aren't like we thought they would be and we're stuck in what feels like limbo? How can we find patience? Well, Luke gives us an answer in his text. Several times in this passage, Luke refers back to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Simeon specifically, he says, <clears throat> the Spirit was upon him. It says the Spirit revealed to Simeon. It says that Simeon was in the Spirit. And for Anna, she, she was deemed a, a prophetess, meaning, meaning to be led by the Spirit. And then her devotion pointed to that Spirit's leading. And I already mentioned both of them are, are, are sent together as this confirmation of Jesus' deity. So what you can see is that the Spirit is moving in their lives. Not separately, but together. All of a sudden there's this grand picture that God is moving all things and in control of all things. I think I've heard that somewhere before. The Bible. This is the picture. That the Spirit is controlled and what we is controlling things and holding things together and what I see is that the Holy Spirit is saturated the pages of Anna and Simeon's life think about the pages of your life is God in those pages or is it a book about you see we have a tendency to try to read ourselves into this book but the reality is this book isn't about you it isn't about me. It's about him. Now, he's woven us into the narrative, but it isn't about us. It, if we want to learn how to accept the things that aren't like we thought they'd be and find patience in the, in the middle of extreme circumstances and extreme adversity, the pages of our life have to be spirit-filled. The pages of our life have to be spirit-filled. 
So how do we do that, church? How, how do we be a people where God has come in and moved in our life in such a way that we can be patient through all extreme circumstances? That we can exemplify and show the same type of spirit-led patience waiting in what would feel like a wilderness similar to Simeon and Anna. How do we do that? How can we be led by the Spirit? And here's the, here's the answer. It isn't complicated. Step one, find Jesus. Matthew 7 says, 7 says ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. We need to find Jesus. We need to go to him and we need to say, God, I repent and I believe in who you are. We sang it earlier, I think in the opening song, that we need to die to self so that he can be resurrected in our hearts and in our lives. We need to find Jesus. The second thing, is that we need to follow Jesus. I, I heard someone talking about the, 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 I guess the spiritual gifts and the armoring of God, and they said, oftentimes we have a lot of naked Christians. They put on the helmet of salvation, but they don't put anything else on their body. And when I thought, think about where we are as a culture today, and I think about this text, and I think about the idea of how do we be spirit-filled Christians? How do we let the Spirit of God move in and out of our life? I think, man, you know, so often we are so focused on, well, we found Jesus once, but we don't follow Jesus now. If you find Jesus, you follow Jesus. So maybe you found something else. But found people find other people and following Jesus is a part of that process. Discipleship is a part of that process. Seeking him and being refined by the fire is a part of that process. If you found Jesus, you need to follow Jesus. That is how we become the spirit-filled people that God has called us to be. 1 John 4:13 says by this by the way we follow Jesus, by the way we love, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. If you want to have the patience of a Simeon and an Anna and be able to wait in the midst of silence for an answer, you need to be Spirit-filled. And In order to be Spirit-filled, you follow Jesus. You give Him everything. We need to forget everything else. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Think about sacrifice. It's not about you. A living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If you want to be able to be led by the Spirit and be patient, you need to have this Word washed over you. Regularly. In your own walk. In Bible studies. At church. This is the lamp unto our feet. If we expect to have the type of patience and perseverance that Simeon and Anna showed us in this picture, to be able to go through the things that we didn't think would look the way they ended up looking, we need to let go of this world and of what we want and what we desire. And we need to hold fast to the King, Jesus. And in my experience, that is a daily commitment. It's something that you have to set your mind and your heart to regularly. It isn't enough to just have a status of Christian. It isn't enough to just walk through it and go, yeah, I go to church. Because you haven't been tested. Your boat isn't ready for the storm. But when you seek after Him, and He's prepared you, then you're ready. You'll have the patience through the power of the Spirit. And if you're doubting the Spirit's power, there's a passage in Romans that says the same power, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, when you've given your life to Jesus, that same Spirit lives inside of you. So I think one of the best things that you can say to yourself on a daily basis is that you don't have enough. See, the world wants to tell you that you are enough and you have enough and you can make it through it and all these other things, and the reality is you can't. But that's good news because you can't. If you think you can, that's just a failure that's waiting to happen. But when you give up and you say, he can, I can't, that's the answer. You'll find patience. You'll find perseverance. You'll find endurance. Because the author and perfecter of your faith is going to do it through you. So don't lean on your understanding and your strength. Rest on his. Let me pray. God, I just ask that you'll move in our hearts. You'll move in our minds. And those movements will cause our feet to move and our mouths to move. Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning that wants to give their life to Jesus, I pray that they'll do that. That they'll, that they'll go knocking on your door. Because I know you will answer. Help us all in this room to follow after you. To seek after you. To know you. Give us the strength. Give us the encouragement. Help us to be patient through silence. Help us to be comfortable when things don't turn out like the way we thought they would. Thank you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.